Today on Abounding Grace, we bring you the purpose of the law of God. The law reveals our need for a Savior. It tells us that we've come to the end of ourselves and we need a Savior to rescue us from our endless circle of trying to be better and do better, trying to improve and help ourselves, when all the while God is saying, you don't need to help yourself, I am ready to do what you are incapable of doing if you will come to me. Acknowledge the sin that I've revealed to you. Acknowledge that it's not a theoretical philosophy, but you're a sinner. Acknowledge that sin has lied to you all these years, and then come to the cross of Jesus Christ. This is amazing grace. It's time for Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. Thanks for being with us as we dive back into Hebrews. We left off in chapter 8, if you'll recall, and Pastor Ed is in the middle of a study giving us four purposes of the law that are important for us to grasp. The first is it defines what sin is, and then it reveals we are sinners. We'll pick up on that point as we turn to Hebrews chapter 8 and Romans chapter 7. Jesus gave the strongest rebuke to Pharisees. Now, you got to understand something before you kind of look at them and go, that's the Pharisees. Listen, the Pharisees would be a group of people that would be closest aligned to us and our theology and our understanding. They started out very strong. They were dedicated to the Word of God. That's what you would describe a Pharisee. They were dedicated to the Word of God. They were conservative in their approach. They believed in the supernatural. They wanted to honor God with their lives. They wanted other people to know God through his word. Like, like the Pharisees in how they started would be very similar to us and our dedication to the word of God. But here's what happened somewhere along the way. The word of God became more important than God. And the longer they lived in that, so much so that by the time Jesus came, you know what he told him? He says, look, you guys search the scriptures because you think in the scriptures you find eternal life. But they are that which speak of me. You see, eternal life is not knowing a scripture. It's knowing God by faith. That's where salvation comes. The Bible doesn't save you. God of the Bible saves you. That's a very important distinction. The Trinity of God is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's not the Father, the Son, and the Holy Bible. The Bible is what God's given to us to get us to him. And the Pharisees missed it. Jesus even told them, you guys are like whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. And what he was saying is, you look all nice on the outside, but inside you're corrupt. Well, guess what? Paul was corrupt too, just like you and me. He didn't even know he was covetous until the Bible said, don't covet. So imagine him opening up the scroll. He's reading it. Don't covet. What's his next question? What's coveting? Well, if you would look up coveting, it literally means to want something that someone else has. <laughs> Want something that someone else has. Deeply desire it. 
You're almost, it's even worse than jealousy because covetous adds one more thing to it. It's not just that you want what someone else has, but you're not happy that they have it. You would rather have it. It's insidious. This constant pursuit, I've got to have it. Well, do you need it? No, I don't need it. I want it. I've got to have it. My neighbor has it, and I can't believe it. Why does he have it? I work all day long, and I save, and all we do is, I mean, my neighbor gets everything. And you know how it goes. Covetousness. Look, look, if an advertising company wanted to write down the mission and vision of their company, this is what the mission and vision is. We make people covet. Because that's really what advertising does. I mean, I don't know about you, but there have been times I see a, a commercial and I wanted something that I didn't even know existed before I saw that commercial. And it gets, you know, with the rise of social media, man, we are just, we're getting tossed to and fro like a tennis ball on a tennis court. Social media, there you are, you're sitting down, had a great day today, you're winding down, you know, you don't have a lot of resources or you don't even want to go out. So what do you do? You go to the refrigerator, you take out that styrofoam container, it's half of a cheeseburger that the lettuce is all, but it's all right, I'm going to eat it, put it in the microwave, warm it up, you have it there on the kitchen table, you open up Instagram, oh man, look at what they're eating, look what I'm eating. I want what they're, but you know, the secret about Instagram is that picture of the meal actually isn't even theirs. They took it from the table next to them. <laughs> they're just got water and chips and salsa, man. That's all they got, but that's not, they don't post that on Instagram. And you know, we just are so stirred up. You know, I'll let you in on something, right? Because when I'm traveling, if there's an in and out in town, we visit it. And if you follow me on Instagram or social media, you'll know that I'll post a picture of this massive four-layer cheeseburger, all the patties, all the cheese. It's huge. It barely fits on my Instagram. I got to wrap it all around. That's not my cheeseburger. I don't eat like that anymore. That's my son's. He can eat like that. Why would I post some burger wrapped in a lettuce for you? That's not going to get very exciting. Or I get a little cheeseburger and then I don't even, I share the fries. Like, that's not exciting. My boy, he's got an exciting burger. Mean, uh, boring. It's not even true. But I wonder, I mean, you look at a picture and you go, oh, I wish I was in In-N-Out. I wish I was there. And then it goes to, I want that. And then it goes to, why is he eating in and out all the time? That's not fair. I got to eat the same cheeseburger three times a week, man. That's not fair. That's not fair. I want that. I want that. Paul, he's reading the Bible and the Bible is telling him, you are covetous. That is a sin. You know why? Because covetousness is the exact opposite of contentment. And the Bible says that godliness with contentment is great gain. See, the antidote to covetousness is contentment. Just saying, you know what, Lord? Whatever you have for me, I accept it. I'm so grateful. Even more so, to go back to the moment you were born again. That's the greatest day in your life. And here you are coveting a cheeseburger, but you're saved. You're forgiven. You're going to heaven. And you're all bent out of shape because somebody has a better cheeseburger than you. But it's much more serious than that, isn't it? Because some people covet other people's wives and husbands. Some people covet other things, and it just, 
as you'll see in a moment, it just wrecks a life. We have to be able to say, God, whatever you have for me, jot this down. Let me read it to you in Psalm 84. In Psalm 84, verse 11, listen. This is the word of the Lord to you and to me that wrestle with covetousness. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield, and the Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. No good thing will God withhold from you as you walk uprightly. That means if you don't have it, it's not good for you right now. That's what it means. In your relationship with God, if you don't have it, it's not good. Why? Because God's not holding anything good back from you. He's not holding anything good. So if you're a good little boy, you'll find, no, he's not holding anything good back from me or you. So therefore, I can choose to be content that God will give me what I need when I need it. And he'll provide for all of my needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. And you ask, there are a few people among us that can tell you this testimony. They went after the buck and they went after the things and they, they just devoted their whole life to it. And they came to the same conclusion. It's all emptiness. Things rust. They break. They get ripped off. And you never get your time back. And you never get to use that money to invest in the kingdom of God. And it's all a loss. Because as we're learning, aren't we? It's all temporary. It's all temporary. And if God entrusts you with a lot, then the Bible says, to whom much is given, much is required. And if the, if the Lord entrusts you to a little, then you need to be faithful with the little you've been given because if you're faithful with the little you've been given, you'll be given more. But covetousness will wreck you. And Paul said, I didn't even know I was covetous until I read the law. And we've used this illustration. It's even overused. But for the sake of reminder, remember the law's like the mirror. And when you look in the mirror, it reveals. The Bible's like a mirror. When I open it up, it reveals my life in light of God's opinion. Not man's opinion, not society's opinion, not pastor's opinion, not church. It shows me what God thinks about my life. Number three, the law is holy, just, and good. Why? Because number one, the law defines for us what sin is. Secondly, the law reveals that we're sinners. Thirdly, verses 8 through 11, we learn how the law shows us how deceitful sin is. Or in the New Living Translation, how it fools us. Sin is deceitful. This is amazing. The very thing that Paul thought was giving him life was bringing death in him. He was clinging to the law for salvation when all the while the law was pointing him to Messiah. And he thought he had life, but it was producing death in him. He thought he was living, he was living, but the reality was is he was dying spiritually, living in death. Galatians chapter 6, jot it down in verse 7, says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will reap. Don't be deceived. God will not be mocked. Truth is the truth. Sin is so deceitful. Such a liar to us. The, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. That never changes. But you know what sin does? It promises life. It promises happiness. It promises fulfillment. If you just do it this way, look, everybody's happy. Look, everybody's going. Look, everybody's and 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 oh, there you are. You go to that church. You read that book, and it tells you don't do things. It's the devil comes to you and says you're not doing it. You're missing out. You're missing out. Listen, the only thing you're missing out on is death. We have really poor memories. Because we have a tendency when we think back in our past to only remember the, what we perceive as good times. 
the great times that we're somehow missing now. And we conveniently forget just how bad it was, just how many people we hurt. You know, if you were a partier and you drank yourself into, into blackouts, you forgot that. Waking up in your own vomit, that's nice. Waking up wondering what you did and what you said. Waking up, how did you get here? I mean, on and on. You think if, if it wasn't alcohol, it was all relationships, and you forgot how used you felt when you woke up in the morning. You forgot how empty it was. You forgot how it never brought satisfaction. And so you kept searching and searching because sin lies to us. You know, before I read the Bible, before anyone ever came to my house, before anyone opened the Bible to me and shared the gospel with me, I was generally free from an accusing conscience. And what I mean by that is this. Before I was born again, when I partied, I partied. And I didn't care. I didn't have this accusing conscience. At the end of the party, I was always thinking about the next one. And I was thinking about how I could rearrange my work schedule and whether I'd have to call in sick. And I, was always, I wasn't sitting around thinking, hey, man, I'm not doing anything wrong because I was raised in the same generation you were raised in. And it's successive generations. Yeah, I could do whatever I want as long as it doesn't hurt anyone. I bought into that. That's a lie. That's a lie. Not only was I hurting other people, but set that aside for a second. The lifestyle I chose to live, number one, was hurting the heart of God, but number two was hurting me. I was destroying my own life, my God-given life. So away with this nonsense that says you can do anything you want if you don't hurt anyone. Every time you sin, you hurt someone. Sin is a liar, and God will not be mocked. Sin doesn't tell us the truth. You know, even before I knew the gospel, I knew there was something wrong with me because I was one of those guys, and maybe you were too, that just, man, I bought every self-help book I could find because I knew I needed to improve in this, I needed to be better this, and I'd go from book to book to book only to find out that I couldn't help myself. I couldn't help myself. I mean, think about the whole self-help thing. It's like a multi-gajillion dollar business. If there was a book that could really give you self-help, okay, I want you to stick with me on this. If, there, if self-help books really worked, then there would only be one of them. Why would you need more than one? Why do you need to keep helping yourself, helping yourself, helping yourself? If self-help books were really accurate, you'd only need one. It'd be a bestseller. To which people yell out, yeah, it's the Bible. No, it's not. The Bible's not a self-help book. The Bible is a God-help book. And the Bible reveals through the law that we can't help ourselves. Let's come back to self-help because nobody really responded to that. Do you understand what I'm saying? If the self-help books, if, if Dr. Phil really was doing his job, he would be out of work. If self-help, I mean, think about it. Let's just think about it. So, so you want to improve in an area, and I think that's great. So you get a book from, you know, down at Barnes & Noble or Amazon, you get a book, and it says, write on the, you got make 10 commitments, write them on three by five cards and put them all around the house. And so you do it because you're like, yeah, I want 10 things. So you write it. You write all of them, you put them around the house. Do you understand that the cards have no ability to change you? Do you understand that? That every time you see it on the mirror, it says, I'm committed to smile more. And you're not smiling. All the card does is accuse you. You're not smiling. I know, I know. And then you go to the next one. I will be nice, but you're so mean today. I know, I know. And I'll go to work on time, but you're always late. I know, I know. So, so it's not that you can't be reminded, but that card only reminds you that you fail in that area. 
And it keeps telling you every time, go take them down. You're failing, you can not smile, you're late and mean all the time. There's no power. It just reveals. Listen, church, you can't help yourself. You need to surrender to the one who will empower. See, God reveals to us the problem so that the last thing we learn about the law is the law reveals our need for a savior. It tells us that we've come to the end of ourselves and we need a savior to rescue us from our endless circle of trying to be better and do better, trying to improve and help ourselves, when all the while God is saying, you don't need to help yourself, I am ready to do what you are incapable of doing if you will come to me. Acknowledge the sin that I've revealed to you. Acknowledge that it's not a theoretical philosophy, but you're a sinner. Acknowledge that sin has lied to you all these years. And then come to the cross of Jesus Christ where your sins were taken upon Jesus and all the pain and the weight and the penalty and the wrath of God was taken upon Jesus Christ for you. You see, when you refer to the new covenant as better, it is better. But it doesn't make the law bad. The law is never bad. We need that revelation. Let me give it to you real simple. Just, you don't need to know all of Leviticus or Deuteronomy or any of, you know, the extents of the Torah, Genesis through, all the way through Leviticus, you know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. You don't need to know all that. If you just went to Exodus chapter 20 and you read through the Ten Commandments with someone or yourself, that's just a real quick summary of the law. If you just read through the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not commit adultery, covet your neighbor's wife, all. If you go through there, you have failed at one of those, at least one, probably all of them, but at least one, many of them. And as you come to the conclusion, yeah, okay, Ed, okay, pastor, all right, enough already. I have failed at one of the Ten Commandments. One of them, back when I was three, but I did fail. Okay, okay, and I, I accept that. You admitted that you have failed one of the Ten Commandments. Well, what God says is, is that now you have broken his law. That's what he says. Now you're a lawbreaker. You go, wait a minute, how could you, what am I supposed to do? I'm a lawbreaker. Yeah, you remember you said that you failed in lying. You, you've lied a lot in your life. And so that, that, that reveals to you that you're not perfect. Well, man, if I'm not perfect, how do I get perfect? Which is a great question. You can't undo the actions. You can't go back and undo that action. So what does God do for you? He provides to you a perfect substitute and sacrifice on your behalf. Remember, we're learning in Hebrews we're learning in Hebrews that in Jesus Christ, he's the better, the best. When you come to him, you have it all. Don't go backwards. Don't go away. Don't, don't veer away from simple faith in Jesus Christ. There's always those people that want to tempt you away from simple faith. Well, I just believe in Jesus. Yeah, but you don't know enough theology. Listen, you don't have to know, be perfect in theology in order to be saved. You know that, right? You can just believe Jesus. He'll give you the knowledge that you need. As a matter of fact, those that want to draw you not to Jesus, but to their system of theology are actually filled with pride. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And love goes after the soul. Knowledge goes after the head. And so be careful if somebody comes along, you don't believe right, you don't believe. Listen, 
Do you believe in Jesus Christ that he lived for you, died for you, and rose again? To that you say amen? amen. Perfect. Perfect. And as you grow in him, you'll gain a greater knowledge of him and enjoy him, surrender to him, walk with him, pray to him, listen to him. Life is surrounding Jesus Christ, folks. Abiding in him as he abides in you. Hey, we do love the grace of God and we'll get into the new covenant in future studies. But just because the new covenant is better doesn't mean the law is worse. It's holy, just, and good. And its message is loud and clear. Come to Jesus Christ and repent of your sins. Acknowledge him as your savior and follow him as your Lord and you will be saved. We're going through Hebrews one verse at a time with Pastor Ed Taylor on Abounding Grace. Before we part ways, just a few things we want to tell you about. If you'd like to hear today's message again, log on to AboundingGraceRadio.com. Again, we're on the web at AboundingGraceRadio.com. You can also download our free app and access our teachings that way. Search for Ed Taylor or Calvary Church. So, Pastor Ed, as you were describing four reasons why the law is holy, just, and good, this very well could be an eye-opener for many of our listeners. As you know, a great number of people totally miss what the law's purpose is. Would you speak to that person who's in that camp and wanting to change course? Well, you know, Larry, this is no small topic because of the lack of Bible teaching today, the lack of systematic verse-by-verse teaching, and we don't really think, we just kind of think, well... I'm a new covenant believer, I follow Jesus, he's my sufficiency, and to think that the law no longer has a purpose. As we've learned from the Bible study, the law is super, super important. We need to recognize uh, all of the benefits, as we've learned, the, the four reasons how the law defines for us what sin is. How would we ever know what sin is unless God told us? And the law reveals not only what sin is, but that we are sinners, and that's an important conclusion to come to. I don't know that without the law that we would even come to that conclusion. And then thirdly, we learned that the law shows us how deceitful sin is, and then of course, finally, the law points us to a Savior. It's so important. And so for those that would be in the camp of not really valuing the entirety of the Scriptures and how God builds upon building block upon building block— I would say that it's a good beginning to listen to this radio station. I think that's a great beginning because a majority of the teachers on this station teach through the Bible verse by verse and give you a fullness of the whole counsel of God. But I think the second thing is to be open to understanding how the Bible is one unit, and God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And certainly in different time periods, what we might call dispensations— God has dealt with people in different ways, um, but he himself hasn't changed. He himself remains the same, but he deals with us in more, and as we look back, in a progressive way, as he progressively reveals himself. So don't throw away the law, but know how to use it. Understand its, in, its specific purpose, and as you do, you'll understand the different nuances as you study the Word. And I know wanting to change course in relying upon the grace of God, the grace of God is built upon the law of God. And as we learn to live by grace, 
the good news is by faith, uh, we keep the law because Jesus kept the law. Isn't that great? So I'd say stay, I'd say stay open, remain open, be a woman or a man of the word, and I know the Lord will continue to use his word in your life. Thanks again, Pastor Ed. See if this sounds familiar. You come across an atheist or non-believer that has some questions about Christianity or the Bible. It's about that time you scratch your head in confusion and don't know what to say. Well, allow Ron Rhodes to help in a book called Five Minute Apologetics for Today. The book is short, giving you one-page answers to common questions and objections. Request a copy today when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more. You might think of it as a way of saying thank you. You can do that by calling 877-30-GRACE. Again, our number, 877-30-GRACE. You may not realize this, but we are listener-supported. And each dollar that's sent is an investment in God's work and responsibly used. You'll be helping people all across the nation grow in their relationship with the Lord and, in some cases, come to Christ. You can make a donation online at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Don't miss our next study in Hebrews. It's going to be a good one. That's right here on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.